0: I'm going to invite your attention this morning to the book of Philippians. If you would please, Philippians and chapter 4 is where we will begin this morning. We're going to look a couple of places in the book of Philippians as well as uh, in a couple other places in scripture uh, also, but I think there's some important things for us to, uh, to glean here and some things for us to learn about being a missions-minded or missions-hearted church. I'm thankful that the Lord over the years has given understanding uh, to this church, to each of us, uh, to understand that the work of missions is not just a work of uh, a few individuals out there who have a specific calling on their life and have surrendered uh, to leave this world and this life behind and to go and move their family to a foreign country and serve there, but really the work. And the responsibility for missions rests squarely on the shoulders of God's people and those who are part of His churches, and that would include you and me. That we are uh, responsible, equally responsible, for uh, this uh, calling that we have, the great commission to get the gospel to the lost of the world. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we have the opportunity and the privilege to support, what, around 30 missionaries and mission works uh, around the world and families who are going, I'm thankful for the heart that God has given to this church to support missions. But the reality is that there are not many churches out there today that are truly, uh, who can truly say that the heartbeat of the church is missions and, and proclaiming the gospel but I believe that as we look in the Bible, we see an example of a church that, that could be said of them, that they were a missions-hearted church, specifically in their relationship to the Apostle Paul and to his ministry. And so we're going to read about them beginning here in Philippians chapter 4. If you're able to stand, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God, beginning in verse number 10. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10. Paul, writing to this church, says to them, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound, everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. That verse has a little bit different meaning when you read it in context, doesn't it? Verse 14, notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel... When I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And then he makes them this commitment, this promise from the Lord. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You can be seated. Thank you for standing this morning last week or over the last couple of weeks we've talked about the the purpose of the church the fact that uh, god has given to us a great responsibility that that is not uh, we are not here simply to uh, gather together and, and and have fellowship and friendship, though that is a, a vital part of church life and we ought to do that. We ought to, uh, our relationships here really in many ways ought to be more meaningful than even our family relationships and, and those, that, uh, those that would take place outside of here. I believe that we have a bond in Christ that supersedes much of uh, what the world has in regard to their relationships, but, but really our purpose as a church is not just fellowship. And, and really, our, the purpose of a church is not just edification and growth, even though that also is a vital aspect, and important part of church life. But really, the purpose of a church is for the equipping of the saints, that we would be able to leave this place, and leave these four walls, and accomplish that which God has called us to do, to reach every Person, every creature in the world with the gospel. That's why we exist as a church. It's the reason that Mount Zion Baptist Church exists is to fulfill and carry out the Great Commission in the world. We understand that to be true. But when we look back at the history of missions, if you will, the history of the Great Commission, <clears throat> there are several churches that I can think of that really come to mind uh, specifically in the Bible as Great uh, uh, great centers of b- missionary endeavor. Uh, one of those, and, and certainly we couldn't have this conversation without considering the church at Jerusalem, right? After all, the church at Jerusalem was, was really that first church that Jesus started during his earthly ministry. And, and after his uh, death and his resurrection, they kind of settled there. Uh, In Jerusalem, and that's where they remained, and the church began to grow and and explode in size. That was really the place where the Word of God, uh, from which the Word of God sounded out to the rest of the world. And so, certainly, that particular church is one that we need to consider when we talk about uh, uh, churches that were greatly used of the Lord in missions. Another one that comes to my mind, usually the first one that comes to my mind when I think about missionary churches in the scriptures is the church at Antioch in Acts chapter number 13 where Barnabas and Paul were separated uh, unto, unto the work that God had called them and they were sent forth from the church there at Antioch and, and, and it was out of that church that they carried on. Uh, their ministries and Paul's missionary journeys and we see their connection to that church continuing beyond just their sending because at the end of each of their journeys what did they do they came back to Antioch and reported to that church what had happened that was their home church it was their sending church but I think one church that gets overlooked and yet maybe potentially the argument could be made maybe the most missions minded And missions-hearted church in all the Bible is the church at Philippi. It was a church that, again, is not necessarily real well-known, and and you might even look at it and say, well, what did they really do in regard to missions? But Paul here kind of heaps some praise on them for being so sensitive and aware of the needs that he had in his own ministry and their uh, assistance in helping him in the work. And I want you to notice that he says in verse number 17, kind of a famous verse, he says, not because, I desire a gift, uh, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So what is he saying? He's saying that by their partnership with him, that the fruit of his ministry is also abounding to their account, right? That the, the things that he does and the, the work that he goes about to do, every soul that is saved is a soul that they have uh, been a part of reaching. Every church that is planted is a, a church that they've been involved in planting, even though they weren't necessarily the ones that were there. So he connects them. And he says that essentially you have part, you have a stake in my ministry. And just a side note there, let me say to you, I hope that you understand that the missionaries that we support, and that line the their pictures and letters line the hallway over here to my left. These missionaries, they're not just people that we, you know, support and send a little money to and say, okay, you know, I guess we've done our job. These are people that we have chosen to partner with in the gospel. These are people and ministries that we've chosen to get behind and to say, as a church, we want to have a stake in what you're doing. We want to make an investment. We want to be involved. And, and folks, that ought to give us a sense of, uh, of some ownership, if I can put it that way. Uh, and and not, in, not, in the, in the, not with the idea that somehow we have control over what they do, but, but really in the idea that we care about what's taking place in their ministries. If, if you give toward missions, those missions dollars are going to those families in particular and to their ministries directly. That's a blessing. But, folks, you want to care. Uh, you, you, you need to say, boy, I, I'm, I'm giving money. I'm making this investment so that this ministry can go forward, and I have a part in that. And, therefore, when they are carrying a burden, I'm carrying a burden. When they have a need, I have a need. When, when there's something that they're asking prayer for, that's a call to action on my part that I'm going to pray for them because I'm invested in this. This church understood that, and Paul said, hey, we're partners together in the gospel. There was a a partnership there. I want you to notice, though, that that he says in in verse number 14 here of our text, he says, notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. He talks about communication. Now, we, we think of communication typically in the sense of, two people talking through something or 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 passing along information its communication but actually the Bible meaning of the word communication goes deeper it 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 has at its root that word commune or communion it has the idea that we are interacting with one another that we are sharing some kind of a a bond together and specifically here he's talked about in verse number Uh, 15, he he talks about them communicating with him as concerning giving and receiving. So so through their giving, they were communicating with him. They were giving to support him financially. Uh, He talks about uh, the the communication uh, with his affliction in verse number 14. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? That ye did communicate with my affliction, this Particular letter, this epistle to, to the, the, of Philippians was written from a, a prison setting. Paul was bound. He was in bondage. He was, for the faith of the gospel, he was uh, essentially a prisoner. But he says that this church communicated with my affliction. In other words, they related themselves. You related yourself to me. Uh, you weren't just there supporting me as I am here in affliction... In bondage, but you are communicating with me in regard to this. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 3 admonishes us to remember those that are in bonds as bound with them. In other words, and you, you have to understand. Uh, he's not talking about you know, some guy who's sitting in prison on a drug conviction. He's talking about people that are in bondage. They're in prison because of their faith in the Lord or because they've been preaching the gospel and they are now facing persecution. And he says to him that you are to, be, to remember them as though you were bound with them. Uh, you, you are, it's as though you are the one sitting there in the prison cell. Uh, you, you need to be so committed to them that, that, that it's though you're sitting there right next to them, as bound with them. And let me just reiterate that, folks. Our missionaries that we support, they ought to sense from Mount Zion Baptist Church that we are in it with them. That, that they're not alone out there, but that we're with them. And even though we're not necessarily bodily, physically present with them at all times... That there is a, a, a real sense in which they can feel our support. That we would communicate with them. Now that's going to require some effort on our part, isn't it? It's going to require that we're committed to praying for our missionaries. It's going to require that we're committed to giving, to, to, to take care of their needs. And, and be willing to step up when they ask for help somewhere. Uh, we need to be in this with them. That's what this church was to the Apostle Paul. They were partnered in the Gospel. But I want to point out to you a few aspects of this church that Paul himself identifies that I think would help us. If if, if you have a desire, and I'll tell you right now, I have a great desire for us to be truly a missions-hearted church. Uh, I've said for a long time, I really am a missionary at heart. And, and that's something that that I've always had a a desire for, and it's something that I, 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 I long for. I always want to be involved in everything that I can. I believe that as a church, we need to be missions-hearted. We need to have that mindset. Why? Because God does. God's, God's heart is with the lost of this world, is it not? He would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's heart is with the lost, and if his heart is there, our heart ought to be there. And so, if we want to truly be a missions-hearted church, there's a few things that we can point out about the church at Philippi that are going to help us. And I want to just identify them to you. Look with me at verse number 15, a little bit closer if you would. As Paul says here, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye... Only. What's he saying? He's saying that when when he first left Macedonia, the region where Philippi was, that there was only one church that was committed to supporting him financially. One. And it was the church at Philippi. He was sent from the church at Antioch. And no doubt that that church at Antioch was... Behind him and supportive of him and probably sent him with a little bit of money uh, on his journey. But the reality was, when it came to his faithful supporters, there was one church initially. And it was the church at Philippi. And so let me say to you that this church, this missions-hearted church, they were a standard-setting church. They were a standard-setting church. They stepped out and went above and beyond the call. They were willing to do something that no other church had done to that point in supporting a missionary. Now, to us as independent Baptists, we, we understand that this is a pretty common thing. In fact, I wouldn't be a member of a church that didn't support missionaries. I mean, after all, where is your focus? Where is your, you know, what investment are you making? I, I believe it to be important. But you see, back then, that, that wasn't a thing. It hadn't happened yet. This was all still very new and yet this church at Philippi was willing to see a need, recognize a need, and be willing to step out and do something no other church had. Why does that matter? Well, it would have been easy for them to say, "Well, what does the church at Jerusalem do? And 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 how does the church at Antioch take care of his needs? And by the way, there's a church in Samaria, and what's what are they doing for the They didn't do that. They said, "Listen, there's a need here. We've got to meet this need. What are we going to do? We're going to give. Something that hadn't occurred, apparently, to other churches. They set the standard. And obviously, others followed their example. How do we know that others followed their example? Well, look what, ha- look what he says here. Notice the wording in verse 15. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving. He's talking about past tense. The implication is there are now others who are on board and doing this. Now, you might look at that and say, okay, but we support missionaries. Yeah, I understand. But folks, do you realize that with almost 8 billion people in the world, the need is greater than it has ever been. And it may take some churches that are willing to think outside the box of the norm. I'm not not talking about outside the bounds of Scripture. Outside the box, inside the book. Okay. It may take some churches that are willing to say, well, I don't know if anyone's ever done it like this before. We're going to do whatever is necessary to make sure that the work is being accomplished. You see, it's easy for us to follow the example of what others have done but are we willing to be trendsetters are we willing to go outside the bounds maybe of what we have even considered before and say Lord how could you use us as a church to reach the world I showed you a video I believe it was last Sunday night uh, dealing with that missions emergency that we talked about and and, uh, if you want to go to 2nd Corinthians chapter 8 uh, I'd encourage you to do that but um, this mission's emergency. And what they were encouraging was that each church would adopt a people group. And from that uh, adoption of a people group, that those churches would take upon them the responsibility uh, to make sure that someone was there preaching the gospel and even uh, making an effort to get a Bible translation to them. And, 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 and they were really ad- ad- encouraging churches to say, let's do this let's step up and do it now here's the thing that breaks our mold because we're not accustomed to that we're not accustomed to the idea of a church taking responsibility for a country or a people group and so we have this idea in our mind that unless someone has you know surrendered and been trained and set apart and and sent on a permanent basis that we're kind of at a loss for what we can do for foreign missions but the reality is maybe we just need to think outside the box a little bit maybe we just need to be willing to set some trends to set some standards second corinthians chapter eight i want you to notice in verse number one and this is speaking of an offering that was to be given to the The saints at Jerusalem. But he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, or to take knowledge of, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How then, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So what is he doing here? He's, he's, he is taking, he's speaking to the church at Corinth. But he's pointing their attention to the churches of Macedonia. Now the churches of Macedonia, there, there were probably a lot more that we don't know of today. But there were at least these. We know that the church at Thessalonica was in the region of Macedonia. The church at Berea, that was in the region of Macedonia. And the church at Philippi, those three would be the churches of Macedonia. And what is Paul doing? He's pointing the attention of the Corinthians back to these churches, and he's saying, I want you to take knowledge and take note of what they have done. And from their example, I want to encourage you. Folks, have you ever stopped and thought for just a moment, of the ability that we have as a church to influence others, not just influencing those around us, but even influencing other churches, that that we could potentially, if we would yield to the Lord and let Him do uh, for us and through us what He wants to do, that, that God could actually use us to do some things that would cause other churches to take note and go, wow, if they can do that, if God can use them to do that, maybe God can use us to do this. A missions-hearted church is a trend-setting, a standard-setting church. By the way, Paul mentions this over in the next chapter to the church at Corinth, even about themselves and their ability to influence others. He says, for I know the forwardness, verse number 2, I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, And your zeal hath provoked very many. May it be said of us that our zeal for God would provoke others. That that we would actually set the standard of like-minded churches. Of what it means to be missions-minded and missions-hearted. They were a standard-setting church. Secondly, they were a sacrificial church. Right here in this passage that we are in 2 Corinthians 8. He's talking about their willingness to give. Of course, we remember, we, we read in Philippians where they had given to Paul once and again. I mean, they, they were in the habit of, of giving to support his needs. But what does he say here in 2 Corinthians about their willingness to give? Verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 8. How that in a great trial of affliction... The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. You see, these these people, they weren't just willing to say, okay, we'll give out of our abundance. These were people who the Bible tells us, inspired scripture says, that they were in a great trial of affliction and in deep poverty. And those two things coupled together with their joy abounded unto the riches of their liberality how is it that the poorest of the churches could be the most generous isn't that amazing it's amazing how if someone is just willing to be, obey God it's amazing what God can do through them don't say that you're not able don't say that you're not able to give don't say that you're not able to be involved in missions why because if you'll just give yourself to the Lord he'll show you what he can do through you notice what he says in verse number one of this chapter moreover brethren we do you to wit or to take knowledge of the grace of God he's not just saying we we want you to notice these churches he says we want you to notice how mightily God has helped these churches How how incredible it is that that God's grace, God's enabling strength upon them has used them in such an incredible way that they have gone out and set the pace for the rest of us. Folks, the reality is it's it's not as though we are unable. We are, humanly speaking, incapable of doing what God wants us to do as he's, He's commanded us to do. But folks... We are not here in our own strength, in our own mind. If we are a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have all of his resources at our disposal. And there is nothing too hard for God. There is nothing in If you say, well, I wish that I could be used of the Lord in such and such a way, but I just don't. I just don't have the money. I just don't have the talent. I, I, I don't have the experience or the skill or the time. Friend, there's nothing that God can't do through you. There's nothing that God can't do through you. Look at verse 5. Here we are in 2 Corinthians 8. Look at verse 5. He says, and this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. He says, as you take note, as you due to wit of the grace of God bestowed on these churches, I want you to realize something. They didn't just dig deep down into their generosity. They didn't just, to the best of their ability, scrounge together a few pennies. They didn't just determine that they were going to make some sacrifices. It says that this is what they did. They first gave themselves. You know, preachers a lot of times get a bad rap for always preaching on money and giving. And I try not to do that too much. I I want to preach the whole counsel of God. It's in the Bible, so I'm going to preach it. But I, don't, I try not to make that a hobby horse, right? I'm not just a greedy preacher looking for your money. But the reality is, and this, this will upset a treasurer, God doesn't need your money. If you quit giving to God, it changes nothing for Him. If we as a church quit giving to God... His work still goes forward. Did you know that? God doesn't need your money. Now you say, are you telling me not to give? No, I'm not telling you not to give because the Bible tells you to give. But God doesn't need your money. You know what God is really looking for? He's looking for your heart. He wants you. And sometimes our money is just a reflection of how much of us God has. This church had figured that out. These churches of Macedonia had figured that out. God doesn't need our money. He needs us. He wants us. So before I even consider sacrificing for God, I'm just going to give myself. Folks, God cares a lot less about the money you put in the plate. He cares about you being on the altar. Now, if God has your heart, He'll have your wallet too. It's just the way it works. But before they gave, they gave themselves to God. You know, if you would give yourself to the Lord, you might be surprised what God could enable you to do. I happen to recall a widow woman who gave two mites which make a farthing, hardly anything. She put it in the treasury box and the Lord said of her that she gave more than all the rich that cast in much. Why? Because she gave not out of her abundance, but out of her need. And God was looking at the heart. I I seem to recall a, a young man who came to see Jesus preaching one day and he brought with him a lunch Five loaves and two small fishes, and when they were placed in the hand of the Lord, what happened? A multitude of 5,000 men beside women and children were fed, and there was more left over than when they started. How does that happen? Well, God doesn't need our resources, but if we'll put ourselves in his hands, we'll find that he's able to do an awful lot with us. And the reality is, folks, that we ought to just give ourselves to the Lord and consecrate ourselves and say, Lord, use me, use us to do what you want to do. D.L. Moody uh, said one time, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. Folks, I, I, by God's grace, I want to endeavor to be that man, to be fully consecrated to the Lord, willing to to do whatever he wants and just yielded to him. And folks, if you'll do that, young people, if you will do that, give yourself to the Lord and say, Lord, here here am I. I might not have much to offer. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have any experience. I don't have any skill. Fine, just give yourself to the Lord. He can use you. The church of Philippi had figured that out. They were a standard setting church. They were a sacrificial sacrificial church. Thirdly, let me say this, as a missions-hearted church, they were a sending church. They were ascending church. Go back with me to the book of Philippians, if you would, in chapter four, Philippians four. I want you. To, I want to introduce you to one of probably my favorite uh, unknown character in all the Bible. Uh, this is a man that's not very well known at all, but his name is Epaphroditus. Anybody know who Epaphroditus is? One, my son. All right, very good. I've told him about him. All right, here's... There, you know, there's a lot of names in the Bible that we know, right? David and Moses and Paul. We've got these... And then there's like a, hundreds or thousands of names in the Bible that if you asked me, who's this guy, I'd go, Pff, I don't know. I just read through First Chronicles in my Bible reading. And those first few chapters, my goodness gracious. How did those poor kids ever learn to spell their names? There's lots of them, right? Well, Epaphroditus. I want you to notice verse 18. But I have all and abound and am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So he's, he's talking to this church at Philippi and he says, hey, by the way, I got the care package you sent. Epaphroditus brought it to me. Hmm, okay. So this is a man in the church at Philippi. Go back a page or two to chapter number two. Chapter 2, verse 25. He says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me." Alright, so here's what we find. Here's this man, Epaphroditus. Those are the only times to my knowledge his name is mentioned in the Bible. Epaphroditus was a man, a member of the church at Philippi. And he had been sent from the church at Philippi to minister to Paul and care for his needs. The the wording that Paul uses is that, that he was there to supply your lack of service toward me it wouldn't have been possible for the entire church at philippi to accompany paul in his travels right that, that that wouldn't be logistically reasonable and so here paul is out there ministering and serving and the church at philippi is going boy we wish we could be there with him we wish we could help him we wish we could be there to take care of some of his needs let him know that we've got he's got people he's not alone out there but obviously we can't go so here's what they did they chose a man a man from among their number a man who was not well known and to this day is not well known but they sent him not as a church planter not as a preacher not as a uh... uh you know someone who's gonna go out there and and, and, and set the world on fire, but they sent him as a minister, a servant. He was there, as their representative, helping, as a missionary's helper. That's what he was. Apparently, along the way, this man, Epaphroditus, grew ill. That happens sometimes on a foreign mission field. Uh, conditions aren't always good, and things are different, and, Your body doesn't always respond to things well and and there was an illness that overtook him almost to the point of death and he had to be sent home. But as he was sent home, I want you to notice what Paul says of him. Look at verse number 29. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death. He says, Epaphroditus, you know what he was doing? He was doing the work of Christ. You might be here and say, well, you know, I've never been called to go to a foreign field. What what could I do? Well, maybe you could go and be a blessing to a missionary. Maybe you'd be willing to take a little time off, a little vacation from your work and go spend a week Somewhere, just assisting, just helping, just being a blessing. Just going along, tagging along with them, praying with them. Maybe there's a lady here that'd say, you know, I'd, I'd be willing to go and, and maybe help a missionary's wife and just help take some of the load off, help her with the kids or do a little laundry or something of that nature. And just be there to encourage her, be a friend that she can talk to. I mean, it's not much. No, that's the work of Christ the work of Christ I find it interesting that he says in verse 25 I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier I mean Paul puts him on that level doesn't he, he he's just like me and then he uses this term he says but your messenger Epaphroditus is your messenger Do you know what that word messenger The the Greek word behind the word messenger you know what it is apostolos It's the word that we get apostle from. Paul said Epaphroditus was an apostle. Oh, not in office, not in gifting, but in the sense that he was sent from that church, and it made a difference in the ministry that God had for him. Friend, I just want to say to you, there's probably a whole lot more that you could do for the Lord in missions than you realize you could. And God doesn't always see things like we do. They sent Him. They sent Him. Now folks, I'm praying, and I hope you're praying with me, from this church that God will raise up some men who will surrender their life, who will yield, and will say, here am I, send me. I'm praying that God would send forth from this church families who will carry the gospel around the world, who will give their life, and be willing to leave behind some of the things of this world. Leave behind a job and family and say, you know, I'm going to go and, and serve God and reach people for the glory of the Lord. I'm praying that God does that. But whether it be in that sense or, or just in the sense that, you know what, we're going to partner with missionaries. We're going to help them. We're going to be involved in their work Friend, we ought to be sending. It's famously been said, and it's kind of a, a somewhat of a cute statement, but there's a lot of power in it as well, that the, uh, the, the value of a church is not measured by its seating capacity, but rather by its sending capacity. And that really is true. It's wonderful. If we can get people to come and, and be part of this church body, it's great. But what really matters is what are we doing to get the gospel out? Are we sending forth laborers? The Bible says in Romans 10 and verse 13, for if you live after the flesh, or that's chapter 8, it would be good if I was in 10. 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then it asks this question, how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Then it says, and how shall they preach except they be sent? Do you know where a lost soul's salvation, somewhere over in who knows where in the other part of the world, do you know where it's going to start if they're ever going to be saved? Right here. They've got to be sent, they have to go. I hope that we're willing to go. I hope that we're willing to send. And maybe we would say, well, I'd I'd be glad if the Lord had used me like an Apostle Paul. Or maybe you'd be willing to say, I don't know if I can be Paul, but I'd sure be an Epaphroditus. I'd be willing to do whatever God wants me to do. Acts chapter 8 tells us that the church at Jerusalem was scattered upon the persecution of Stephen, except the Apostles. That church of thousands of people had to disperse because of persecution. The only ones that remained in Jerusalem were the apostles, the preachers. And then you know what it says? Then they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. It wasn't the apostles that carried the gospel forth out of Jerusalem. It was the members like you. They went and they preached and God used them. And friend... God can use you. They were a standard setting church. They were a sacrificial, sacrificial church. They were a sending church. And then fourthly and lastly, they were a supplicating church. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1 very briefly. Philippians 1. They were praying for Paul and his ministry. I want you to notice in verse number 12. Speaking of his bonds, speaking of the fact that he's in prison, he said in verse 12, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. But look down in verse number 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now when he says salvation, he's not talking about his eternal soul. He's talking about deliverance from his current condition. And he says, I I, I know that your prayers will make a difference for me. Think about this for a moment. Paul, sitting in bondage, waiting for the next step, God to answer. But the confidence that he had was that there was a church, a specific church that he knew that was praying for him and he was confident that God was going to hear and answer. Can I ask you, can I ask us today, Mount Zion, if our missionaries had only one church that they could count on to pray for them, could they be confident that there was a church praying for them? If we were the only ones So, it's so easy so often just to look at others and say, you know, there's plenty of other churches out there. Maybe most of our missionaries have 30, 40, 50 churches that partner with them. Okay. But how about us? Can they count on us? Do you know what's going on in the lives and ministries of our missionaries? Do you pray for them? Do we hold them up before the Lord? Paul, Paul was confident of this. He said, I, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. I know you're praying for me. We've got missionaries that we support in the Middle East. Places that are really falling apart their family is in danger. We've got a missionary that we support in China and he is in constant danger because of the message that he carries. We support Larry and Linda Morgan over in West Africa who've been dealing with all kinds of legal issues and false accusations and problems for years and have remained faithful. We've got missionaries that have been waiting to try to get back into their fields of service but are waiting on visas and all kinds of things that we could talk about. There are burdens, there are needs. Can they count on us to pray for them? If not, can we honestly say that we are a missions-hearted church? The Church of Philippi was a missions-hearted church. One that Paul was able to say... My fruit abounds to your account. They were a standard setting church and they were a sacrificial church and they were a sending church and they were a supplicating church. They were a praying church. Can those things be said of us? Can they be said of you? My prayer, my heart, is that God would use us to do more than we've ever done and maybe even some things that others haven't even considered, we would set the standard in what it means to obey God in fulfilling the Great Commission.